Morning. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that you have chosen us, adopted us, given us the inheritance, and sealed us with the Holy Spirit. We pray that the Holy Spirit would be present with us now, working in our hearts and our minds, protecting our ears and our hearts, guarding the truth. We pray, Father, that you would equip us to serve you in this world uh, with hearts of gratitude, gladness, and singleness of heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know if, if you were uh, with us in this class uh, last week. It looks like Andrew's teaching today. I don't know. But um, the... Uh, uh, just kidding. That was a little, a little, a little rivalry joke. Um, uh, last, uh, last week, um, the uh, we... Did a, a class called the Upside Down Kingdom, and that we talked about authority. And uh, this week we're going to talk about uh, relationships. The premise of the class is that um, the Christian life is upside down from the, from the natural life. Uh, if you have um, been in Christ and you have uh, been a disciple of Christ, and you uh, probably have seen different ways in which the, the Christian uh, mindset and worldview and uh, way of doing things is just upside down from the natural way of doing things. What seems uh, like you would just uh, naturally think of doing. Uh, and so we'll talk about the right side up kingdom uh, as what comes naturally and the upside down kingdom as what uh, we see described in Scripture as appropriate uh, for Christians. Um, and I, I said last week, you could probably make the ar- argument theologically that what is, is uh, what, what I'm calling right side up is actually the way we live our life naturally is actually upside down and that God has given to us the right side up kingdom. I, I just think that's confusing. So um, so we're just going to go with the upside down kingdom is, is uh, what we see in Scripture uh, as appropriate for Christians. Uh, and just a couple examples, joy and fulfillment come through restraint and suffering. And that's, that's what we, um, we talk about in the Christian life a lot of times. Um, Joy and fulfillment in the upside, the right side up kingdom comes through uh, uh, acquisition and achievement, and um, and in the Christian life, joy and fulfillment comes through restraint or or through suffering. Strength comes through weakness in the upside down kingdom, which doesn't make any sense in the natural kingdom, the right side up kingdom. And we said last week that we have an upside down kingdom because we have an upside down king. Uh, if you think about kings in the kingly sense, he was. Uh, he was uh, completely opposite. He was upside down from what a normal king looks like. He was poor. He he uh, he washed his disciples' feet. He um, he demonstrated incredible power, but it was not uh, military uh, might. Um, and in fact, he gave his life so that others uh, might live. And he uh, held up values that were uh, completely uh, strange to the natural kingdom, the right side up kingdom. Uh, blessed are the poor, uh, blessed are the meek, um, and so, uh, and yet, w- w- what we have seen hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years, those who have sought to follow his his teaching have found his words uh, to be true, and we see, uh, for example, that those who have acquired everything that the world has to offer find uh, have have found themselves wholly unfulfilled, and yet those who uh, have sought first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, um, have s- truly seen that all the other little things will be added 
uh, unto us. Um, and so, uh, so if you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Christ, and you've placed your soul uh, under the, uh, the grace of Christ, trusting His righteousness uh, and not your own, uh, then you are a member of the upside-down upside kingdom. And it affects everything. And we talked last week about authority and how we see um, Christian authority uh, sort of manifested in service rather than climbing uh, up and using people to, to get higher and higher, but actually to serve people. Uh, this week we were talking about uh, human relationships. And um, because it, it really affects, uh, the gospel should, ought to affect how we uh, interact with people. Now, I do want to say this. Uh, what we're talking about is how the gospel affects us. We're not talking about the gospel. Now, I am actually going to, as we talk about relationships, going to sort of reiterate um, and rehearse the gospel message. But, um, but ha- I'm not at all uh, saying that this is how you are to be a Christian. Uh, this is what makes you a Christian because we know what makes us a, is a Christian is the grace of Jesus given to us on the cross and uh, offer the offer of new life given in the resurrection. We, uh, I, I'm in no way saying this adds to your the merit that God gives to you or the favor which He places upon you. And yet, uh, what we believe affects what we do. Uh, what we believe affects what we do. And um, and so I, I, I do want to offer one a pretty major caveat, and that is that um, as I talk about uh, human relationships, I am um, I am not telling you something that I have mastered. I am not, I am, I am telling you what I think that this, I know that's disappointing. And you're like, what did we hire you for, for crying out loud? Um, so I don't have this uh, mastered by any means. I'm preaching to myself here. I found great conviction in, in looking at uh, some of these, uh, this passage in scripture, passage of scripture and thinking through. Um, and so I just, I, let me say, I'm, I'm, I'm just like you. So, uh, no. Um, human relationships are uh, marked and defined uh, by conflict. Now, I don't, I don't mean that that is always negative. I don't mean everything's negative about human conflict, uh, human relationships. Uh, even when you're uh, in a waltz where it seems like everything is going to get, one person has to move forward, another for that to happen, somebody's got to move back, right? And so there, you know, so I, I just mean that there's, uh, we're all sinners, and there's got to be. Um, and, and if, if we're all sinners, then we're all selfish by definition. And, um, and so, uh, and so we, are, we have conflict. You might have folks that you work really well with, like you, know, you're, you might be a business partner or an associate of some kind, and, 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 and it's not somebody that, that's not somebody you don't have conflict with. It's just somebody that you uh, resolve conflict really well with. You, you, know, you learn each other's steps. But even when you know each other's steps, you're going to step on each other's toes sometimes. Um, and and there's um, there there might be a, a you might have built trust and so you know that when somebody steps on your toes they didn't mean to step on your toes or or um, it, you might have the maturity to look past that or to get over that uh, but there's always conflict there's always conflict in in human relationships um, you know you might you have this, uh, that your great uh, boss maybe you're one of these great bosses it's not a problem it's an opportunity thanks um, the um, but it's true. It is true. It is true. Uh, so we have. So when I say that uh, human relationships are defined and marked by conflict, I, I, a lot of times that does present opportunity uh, for growth and for uh, relationship. It's not necessarily a problem. Uh, the problem comes in how we 
handle it. Um, if you think about uh, stories, uh, whether it be movies or TV shows, novels, um, children's stories, however, any, anything, uh, there is always conflict and resolution. That's, that's what makes a story. You don't have a, a movie where a guy gets up out of bed and he makes his coffee and he eats his cereal and he reads the newspaper and he goes to work and he catches every every light and I mean there's no that's you wouldn't you wouldn't pay to watch that movie it's completely boring there has to be conflict the reason the story the reason movies make millions and millions of dollars um, is the story the conflict resonates with us because we are in conflict uh, human relationships have uh, conflict now uh, obviously that's not defined or that is or co- that's not confined. Uh, to people we dislike. And in fact, I don't know if you've uh, seen this in your own life, you may have heard that sometimes actually the conflict level rises the more we profess to love that person. Not in your life, just in your next door neighbors. But um, (laughs) the more we profess to love. I remember Amy and I were, um, we went to a marriage conference, family life marriage conference. I don't know if anybody's ever been to one. I actually looked it up. There's one coming to Birmingham in, uh, in the last weekend in April. Highly recommended. Family Life. Just Google Family Life Marriage Conference. It is uh, well, well worth uh, the expense. Uh, and in fact, I may be taking that weekend off and going with my wife. It was a great, great weekend. Anyway, we went to this marriage conference it was years and years ago. And the speaker had all the married people look at each other and say, uh, you are so look into your deeply into your spouse's eyes, and you kind of, you know, some of them are just looking so lovingly, and their their rings are all shiny, you know, because they <laughs> some are just kind of going, and um, but, I just, but we we had shiny rings, and we were just looking at each other in the eyes. He said, uh, you know, now say to your spouse, you, you are not my enemy, and um, and. And it did. It came, kind of got this, kind of got this laugh. And yet, there's all. It was, it was kind of like this, there was this laugh, and then there was this realization, like, oh wait, that's true, <laughs> that's true. And um, and so, and you know, us, we were just like, what, what does he mean? But um, the um, but uh, we found out. But the um, yeah, we <laughs> we found out. Um, so even even in the in the relationships, and maybe especially in the relationships where we profess. Uh, our greatest love, we have the greatest uh, level of conflict. Our natural tendency in human relationships, in, in, in con- not in human relationships, in conflict, any conflict, is fight or flight. It's, it's either, it depends on your personality, uh, to fight uh, and, 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 or, to, or flight. And either way, it's self-preservation. Uh, and that is because we are uh, selfish. We are, uh, we when we're in negative conflict, we, we want to win. And so we're going to fight about it. Or we want to run away and hide. Or we want to run away and hide and then sneak up behind later and fight, uh, fight dirty. But um, it's our self-preservation instinct uh, whenever we have conflict. It is always going to arise. And it's actually that self-preservation instinct, uh, usually in both parties, but it, it's, it can happen in just one. Uh, just it only takes one, really. So that self-preservation instinct that drives a wedge between the two in conflict. Uh, it's our determination to preserve ourselves and to preserve our, our own interests. 
you throw in pride, you throw in resentment, uh, you got you got a real mess. Um, I was watching, remember that movie uh, Home Alone uh, with Macaulay Culkin? Uh, my kids, we, we rented that on on demand or something, and we've we've only watched that like six times uh, this uh, holiday weekend. And um, and there's the scene at the end. Um, there's a scene at the uh, towards the end, right before when Macaulay Culkin, right before he uh, has the has the men come through his little fun house. Uh, he get, he goes he goes through ch- goes to church. And they live in Chicago, and it's this big, beautiful church. And it's Christmas Eve, and the children's choir is singing. And no, it's so strange. Nobody is in the congregation um, except a couple of people planted uh, throughout the the pews. And then um, so Macaulay Culkin is in the church, I guess centering himself or whatever, and, and, and this man walks up, this is his next-door neighbor, and he's it's the old man that he's always been afraid of. And he gets to, and, and the old man sits down with him and says, you know, you don't have to be afraid of me. And, um, and, and I don't remember exactly how the conversation goes, but it's something like, he says, well, well of course you don't think so because you're, you're an adult. You don't have anything to be afraid of. And he says, uh, he says something interesting. He says, I... Um, I may be too old for a lot of things, but being afraid is not one of them. And he says, um, they get into a conversation about his family. And he says, uh, he, the old man looks at, at Macaulay Calk and he says, years ago, before you, before you were born, before you, your family moved uh, to, to our block, I got in a fight with my son. That's why, that's why, that's why he's at the church, because his granddaughter's singing. And he said, uh, are you going to have them over for Christmas or something. No, he says no because years ago, before you came here, uh, I got in a fight with my son, and and we got our our, our um, uh, he he was a grown up he was a grown up then, and and I uh, said things I didn't mean, uh, including I didn't want him to be a part of my life anymore. And he said the same thing, and we haven't spoken since. And he says, well, why don't Macaulay says, why don't you just call him? He says because I'm afraid. Uh, I'm a, he says, what are you afraid of? You're his dad. And he says, I'm, I'm afraid that he won't want to talk to me. And, um, and so then, you know, the end, um, for the end of the movie, he sees the, the grandfather hugging his granddaughter and hugging his son after all these years. And uh, I got something in my eye at that point, and I had to go uh, take care of things. But the, um, the, um, the, uh, it, it's, that, it's that, that pride and that resentment and that uh, self-preservation that throws a wedge. Why it was actually even as much as it hurt him, it was his desire to preserve himself in those fears that, that prevented him from um, uh, from calling his son. That stuff resonates. That stuff resonates with us. Uh, hopefully, it's it's not that drastic. In many cases, I know it is drastic and that drastic and more. Um, but con- contrast. Let's just use that as a as a um, not that. This idea that is fight or flight, self-preservation, we want to win, um, and that, that sometimes goes smoothly, sometimes it doesn't. Contrast that with the upside-down kingdom. How do we treat those with whom we're in conflict? How did, uh, let's look at, um, at God first. God shows, this is Romans 5, 8-10, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since therefore we now have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Here's verse 10. Here's the money uh, line. While, for if while we were enemies, 
We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, uh, now that we, shall, that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. In other words, uh, we, were, we were enemies of God because of our sin. Uh, enemies of God. And yet, he didn't say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to reach out. I'm afraid that they won't want to talk to me. Or I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for them to make the first move. It's their fault anyway. Um, he loved us th- despite our um, being his enemy and uh, reconciled us to him. The truth about sin, the truth about our sin, not just our sins, uh, but our sin, our, this um, self, inherent selfishness, the inherent thing in our hearts that wants to be in charge of ourselves, wants to be our own God. Think about that and then all the subsequent sins, behavioral sins that, that, that flow from that uh, is that it is an offense to God. It is, uh, our sin is in direct conflict with Him. It says, I'm king and you're not the king. Um, and yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to come in uh, repentance. He did not um, is while we were enemies, God reconciled us to Himself by the death of His Son. He took His own death upon uh, Himself, His own judgment upon Himself in His own death, so that we might have life, and so that in as in His resurrection we might be reconciled uh, to the Father and have everlasting life. He didn't sort of harumph, cross His arms, and say, um, you know, I, I might be willing to think about forgiveness if they uh, come crawling back groveling. Now that's the way sort of our religion works out and our neurosis works out with God sometimes, but that's not actually the truth of the gospel. The truth is that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us because of His incredible love for us. And in fact, His love for us was not tainted by the fact that we screwed it all up, but that He, that he loved us still. And that, that's the gospel. There's no tit for tat. There's no, uh, I'll forgive you, but... Or I'll forgive you if, or I love you, but you know that's that's I've said this so many times, but um, that what comes after the but is what we really want to say. I mean, you're looking at you talking to your spouse or your mom at the holidays or whatever, and you say, "Look, I love you, but I, what you're doing is driving me crazy." You know, um, what I love you is just that gives as you're giving yourself permission to say you're driving me crazy. But, or, your, or your spouse, but if you say, uh, you're driving me crazy, but I love you, it's the same as that word, it's just flip-flop, it's a completely different message, isn't it? Completely different. Um, I've said that several times, and I can't say it enough, because I have to, have to rely, on, rely on it myself over and over again. Um, what comes after the but is what you really want to say. But there was no but in, God, in the gospel. I forgive you, but... Or I love you, but uh, it is simply uh, you're forgiven. Uh, and it's not, but the thing is, it's not just a canceling of debt. It's not as if it didn't happen. There's still a judgment transaction. He just took it himself. There's still law. There's still penalty. Jesus took it on himself. It's, it's like a. Uh, it's like, it's like if the thief steals from a, something from a store and the store owner takes the money out of his pocket and pays for it himself. He, the, the one who was offended paid the price on behalf of the thief. 
Let me give you a better example. A military general catches someone who's committed treason. And the punishment for treason in that particular country, whatever it is, is some sort of slow and torturous, painful death. The military general, it's his job. It's part of his job to carry out the punishment uh, against this traitor. And yet he sees who the traitor is and he loves that traitor. And so he takes off his hat and he takes off his stars and puts it on the traitor and then takes the death himself. It's a, it's a substitution. See, grace isn't simply looking the other way. There's still um, law. There's still penalty. Grace is suffering on behalf of another so that it's uh, the so that the other one doesn't have to suffer. The offender uh, doesn't have to suffer, and the offended takes the offender's suffering. Is that, is that too complicated? The one who should have suffered doesn't, and the one who um, has already suffered because they have been offended against takes the suffering uh, further. And that's what He did for us. That's the Gospel. Our sin was in conflict with the Father and the Son, and they took Jesus took his uh, the having already suffered with the loss of you know, humanity, um, suffered more by taking upon himself his own judgment, so that we didn't have to because he loved us. So how does that? That's upside down. And how does that affect us? How does that affect um, our relationships? How does it affect how we live our lives? Luke 6, uh, 27 through 36. This is uh, in Luke's uh, version of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this. This is Jesus speaking. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, Offer the other also. From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father uh, is merciful. That's a tall order. It's a lot of tall orders, actually. In fact, what it is, is actually it's the way of the cross. Um, it, it shouldn't be primarily read as a road map 
um, to heaven or, or even as a descri- description of what Christians ought to do, uh, primarily, it is, secondarily it is that, but it is a description of the ministry of Jesus to us through the cross. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And yet, so so, so that is what that's what Christ has has done for us. And yet, it is also imperative. It's an imperative statement. It's a um, it, it's a it's a command statement that Jesus is making to us, um, because of what He's done for us, uh, the reality of our justification, because of the truth of the Holy Spirit in us. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. We can. When we're looking at the cross, begin to uh, love our enemies, and uh, even, maybe especially, those with whom we are in conflict who live in our house, uh, or who whose house we used to live in. There's a, a guy who wrote a commentary on uh, Luke. His name is Michael Wilcock. This is what he says. About the, really, about the upside-down kingdom. He says, In the life of God's people will be seen, first of all, a remarkable reversal of values. They will prize what the world calls pitiable. And they will suspect the, what the world thinks desirable. Values which are taken for granted by other men are questioned by Christians and are considered in the searching light of spiritual truth hidden reality, and a future life. Thus, they are to see as God sees, they are, and they are, secondly, to act as God acts. And they will therefore follow not merely the call of duty, but the call of love. So, part of the upside-down kingdom is that we love uh, our enemies, but another part of the upside-down kingdom is that we don't do it because we have to, we do it because we want to. Or at least we want to want to. Sometimes we don't want to. Probably more often. But we want to want to because we want to honor Christ. We want to be Christ uh, to them. And we know that uh, more hatred, uh, a return of hatred, is not going to be the thing that solves the hatred. More conflict is not going to be the thing that solves the conflict. And yet it, it, offering grace, bringing grace into a situation is not... Uh, turning, uh, just turning away and acting as if nothing ever happened. There's still law. It's just the one who was offended is the one who suffers. When you, when someone has offended you, it's a spouse, it's a, it's a coworker, whatever. They're suffering in that offense. But yet, when you forgive them when they don't forgive it, or you love them when they don't deserve it, there's real suffering in that for you as well. But see, as Christians, we have a place to put that suffering. We sort of act as a funnel. And we, we, we can suffer ourselves by, by forgiving them and loving them when they don't deserve it, and yet we can put it on the cross. Because the truth is that what they've done against us has already been died for. And so we don't have to uh, do it all over again. Um, I don't know if you remember the scene... Uh, in uh, the in Mel Gibbs's passion, the Passion of the Christ, 
where Jesus is carrying uh, the cross through Jerusalem. And uh, Mary comes up to him and says, Mother, behold, I'm making all things new. Well, that's not exactly how it happened. That's a quote from, from Revelation. Um, but, but the point is true. It's in bearing the cross that Jesus made all things new. It's us, when we bear the cross of, of Christian, being a Christian in relationships, um, that uh, we are, that's where we make all things new. I think I keep getting them. Jeez, I'll put that right there. Maybe that'll help. Um, you know, it might be uh, where where we can make all things new in relationship. It might be your you, you're sort of your jerk neighbor. He just gets under your skin. Your coworker. They always smell like cheese or something like that. And, but it, you know, this this really is. It's the hardest. Uh, it's the most important thing in your family. In your family, and we are uh, we are we are called to be Christians, uh, not consumers. We don't think about it, uh, but that every every model of human interaction that we are given in uh, the media and what comes naturally in the right side up kingdom uh, is uh, to be a consumer, and we know what it is to be a consumer. Um, uh, when when I you know for instance at church here we have a uh, contract with a paper company or something like that and. And when, um, but we get we get a flyer in the mail saying we can get a better deal, and so we'll go to the person we have a contract with and say, "Listen, you know, we're probably not going to renew our contract unless you can match this deal." A consumer, um, and, and then the then the vendor has to decide: Am I going to do what this consumer has said, or am I going to let them let them go? Am I going to adjust to their needs and their wants, or am I going to uh, say, "No, I, I got to draw the line somewhere, and you can go." Elsewhere, if that's what you need to do. Well, we're, we are, that's how we operate in relationships as well. Um, consumers uh, are takers. Uh, by definition, we consume things. That's, uh, and, and it's not bad to be a consumer. You've got to eat. You know, you've got to buy things. You, that's what makes the economy go. I'm not, not down in consumers. Um, but, uh, but I remember one time uh, we were trying to buy a Mazda. Uh, car. That's what my mom wanted. She wanted this cool Mazda sports car, and um, and so Dad went to Gibbs Mazda in in Columbia. And they were cousins. I don't know if you ever been to Columbia. Our last names driving all around and you know, on billboards and everything. And um, and Dad went to Gibbs Mazda, and Dad did not get a good deal there. And so the <laughs> the Mazda dealership in Orangeburg had a better deal, and so. The desire for benefit was greater for the, than the desire to be loyal, and so he went somewhere else. He was a consumer, and so he, you know, and I don't. I think we got to go to their Christmas party about five years later after that. But the, um, um, so in relationships, consumers uh, become frustrated when their demands uh, are not met. Now, I'm, I'm, you know, if you're if you're married, uh, and your sp- and your spouse is here, I'm speaking to both of you. Um, when, when uh, the difference between uh, Christians and especially Christian marriages, uh, and is that we live in, in we live in covenant. We have a covenant relationship, not a consumer relationship. And so, when we are um, when when one lives as a consumer and one lives in covenant, it is 
uh, it can be exploitative. Uh, but when, when both live in a covenant, it can, it can be a beautiful thing. It doesn't mean you don't have conflict, but, but it does give you the space to sort of be yourself because, because if you are a consumer, then you're always looking for a better deal. You're always demanding that uh, this person whom you're in relationship with, with adjust to meet your needs. And yet, that is, um, uh, that's not the way of the cross. And that's the right side up kingdom. Um, and so what happens is uh, why marriages fall apart or, or um, families fall apart and, and relationships crumble or, or business partnerships fall apart, however it is, is because um, people look at other people and say, you're not meeting my needs, I'm moving on. I'm looking for a bigger and better deal. Um, and you know, I'm not, I know that that's an over, overly simplistic and you, you might have all sorts of um, yeah, but... Uh, for that, and, and you may be uh, really uh, true in that, but but by and large, uh, at some level, uh, that's why relationships fall apart is because they are um, being treated as consumers rather than as um, Christians. And that's a hard word, but I want you to know that I'm the first uh, first in line, uh, right there. Uh, we are as Christians that we we are givers. Uh, because we are, we have everything. We are full in Christ. We have everything we need given to us in Jesus Christ. And if that is true, then we can primarily be givers and not takers. Now we can be receivers. We can we can receive the gifts that our spouse has given to us as a giver. But but we don't have to be takers. If I if I'm a Christian, I don't have to demand from my wife or my father or my friend that they be God for me or that they make me happy because I am full in Christ. And I know that God has forgiven me for all the offense that I've given to Him. So I'm actually free to say, listen, I forgive you. Now let's work on the problem. Rather than how we how it normally goes down is, you know, we work on the problem, and then we get mad, and we have a bigger problem. Um, it's really hard, uh, but it is beautiful when it happens. Um, when we're not marketing, um, you know, in, in a consumer marriage, sexual intimacy is marketing. And when my needs aren't being met, um, then I'm going to go look elsewhere. In a covenant, it's just it's a it's sacramental. It's an outward, invisible, physical sign of an inward and spiritual uh, reality. Um, there is intimacy already. It's the intimacy is not sexual. The sexual intimacy that's just a picture of the spiritual and emotional intimacy. Now, how does it look outside of uh, marriages and, and just sort of relationships? There still can be spiritual intimacy. That's obviously not the, the place for, for that sort of uh, expression of it. But there's spiritual, there can be spiritual intimacy in uh, forgiveness and trust that is based uh, in Christ. And Christians who come uh, to a, a relationship saying, I am full in Christ, and therefore I uh, can give to this relationship rather than being a taker, being a, a, that I need 
in this relationship. Um, and so that's it's really that's the upside down kingdom in relationships. We're, if we're full in Christ, uh, we are free to forgive. And we, you know, G- Jesus said, "Turn the other cheek," which I, I really. Uh, generally, what um, that's taken is if somebody hits you in the face, turn turn against, so they can hit you in the face again. Well, that's that's not what Jesus meant. Um, when you turn to the cheek, uh, you are remember that you know how so if you ever have a Middle Eastern friend or European Mediterranean friend. I mean, that, they say hello by kissing each other. It's it's a it's a greeting. It's an intimate sort of intimate expression. Um, if it didn't work once, you know, turn turn the other cheek. As an, as an expression of intimacy, you're you're moving into the relationship. Um, it's easy to love people who love you. It's easy to love people who are being nice to you, and um, it's hard to love people who are just takers. Um, that's part of being a parent, isn't it? Um, they're never they're never going to give back to you. Everything, everything that you give to them. And yet, you're so invested in loving this person and forgiving them over and over again and being calm and offering restraint that all of a sudden you find that you just love them more than you can possibly even stand it. And they're never going to give to you what you've given to them. It's just a picture of the upside-down kingdom that God is God's not going to get back from us what He's put into us. And yet, He has loved us still. And so, what? when we look at the cross, when we look at what Jesus has done for us and how He loved us while we were yet sinners, how can we look at our enemies? How can we look at those with whom we have conflict, with whose decisions bother us? Um, it's a hard thing. It's a lot easier said than done. But the gospel affects our relationships. It's a couple of minutes. Just, I mean, it doesn't sound real concise. Not a, not a real neat conclusion. But um, if you have questions or thoughts, anybody? Yeah, Scott. Um, I don't know how many of y'all have seen the movie or the uh, not the movie yet, but the uh, Broadway show Les Mis. Mm-hmm. You know, the movie's coming out and. To me, that movie is, is sort of trickle-down grace because, um, you know, the hero of the story is Jean Valjean. Mm-hmm. He steals from the priest. He gets caught. And then gets caught by the police, and the priest says, oh, my friend, you forgot these. Mm-hmm. You know, right. So that more. was the grace yeah. he received. Later on in the um, show, and presumably the movie, uh, I think he shows grace to the inspector that's been chasing him the whole time. Javert, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Javert is unable to handle that. He's un, unable to handle the trickle-down grace um, that I believe Christ compels us to do in his parables. You know, um, you know, why isn't you forgive? You've been forgiven this, but mm-hmm. you can't forgive for the smaller deed. So that to me is really powerful that I think trickle-down grace, you have to realize that you've been given that grace. Mm-hmm. And maybe, I don't know if Javert did not realize it or, uh, or if he just couldn't handle it. Yeah, well, Victor Hugo does an incredible job in that uh, classic n- novel of. I mean, it's all about law and grace. The whole right? so Javert versus Jean Valjean is it's an incredible contrast. Thank you.
I would just say it does become easier the more you do. What's counterintuitive? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I guess that picture in Philippians 2 where Christ gave up, you know, didn't grasp his power, his glory, mm-hmm. and that's what we all tend to do is cling to our rights or our position. But uh, it's, it's, it's amazing when we do something that we don't see how it would possibly work or play out. Yeah, it always does. Ultimately, the answer is not even in the resolution of the problem. It's in, in personally me leaning, leaning more and more into Christ and being returning to being full in Christ, being full in Christ, being full in Christ. Therefore, and there, that's where I'll have the resources to, to then enter into the problem with, with grace, which is not just turning the other side or saying it doesn't matter or saying it's okay, but actually receiving some of the suffering. So that the other one doesn't have to. All right, well, go do it. (laughs) Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Amen. Amen.